My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here on the teaching team. I'm glad you're here. Uh, I don't usually start the service crying, but this is a, a good service. Like Luke said, the Lord is here. And as we prepare for messages, we think about the whole service, and I knew we were going to lament. And uh, that psalm, Psalm 13, actually is a psalm that hit me at the lowest point of my life. I actually taught it at Redemption Peoria, kind of right in the middle of just a real dark season. So uh, this is particularly impactful for me as I stand up here. And as I was thinking about teaching, I just, I do this as I teach, I Google a lot of stuff. I Googled, what do I do with my hopelessness, just to see. Any ideas on who popped up first on my feed? Oprah. (laughs) Now, when I was a younger, more arrogant man, I'd have something snarky to say. (laughs) You guys did the snarking for me. (laughs) Here's what I now know. What are you supposed to do if you're hopeless? People are looking for answers. Like, they're doing the best they can. Here's what one of Oprah's top articles written by a doctor in her kind of circle says this. What do you do with your hopelessness? You can act if things aren't hopeless by taking initiative. Experiment with optimism. Say to yourself, let me try to make the best of this. Do things you don't want to do, but that could possibly make things better. Exercise, see some friends, or be more upbeat. We're in the book of Ephesians. Luke's been teaching us through this first chapter in Ephesians, and he calls it the glorious gospel. He says it's like finding your dream house on realtor.com, and then the real estate agent takes you to the house, and you go in, and it's even better than you imagined. And you go to each room, and you see the office, and you think... This is more updated, this is bigger, this is more grandiose than I expected. This is what's happening in Ephesians as Paul unpacks. In him, you get this. In him, you get this. In him, you get this. We are walking through this glorious gospel, this house, and checking out each room, and now I get to enter the room called inheritance. Luke's been walking us through. We got, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing. In him, we have adoption. In him, we have redemption, complete forgiveness. Last week, Mike Gohe and my friend unpacked the fact that God has an ultimate plan for all things to unite things in heaven and things on earth. That's glorious. Here's what I think about, though. If Gohe's message from last week doesn't have the message this week, we miss out because In theory, God could have a grand plan to unite heaven and earth, and we could be a bystander watching from the sidelines, thinking, man, it's like a dad who has all these amazing vacation plans and great and glorious plans, and he forgets about one of his kids in the midst of it. Our inheritance means we are included in the uniting of all things in heaven and earth. This, this word inheritance is all throughout scripture. It's used in a variety of ways. There's a quote from a book we've been reading uh, to kind of get ready for Ephesians. It's from Gloria Furman. It says this, we are his inheritance. The Bible speaks like God sees us as his inheritance, his possession. We have obtained an inheritance, which is what we'll unpack today. And we are yet waiting for our inheritance. We are God's treasured inheritance. The Old Testament says in 1 Peter says we are his prized possession. We also have obtained an inheritance, and we're waiting for an inheritance. So how do I want to unpack this as we talk through this book of Ephesians here? I want to just ask three questions. What is the inheritance? Why does God give the inheritance? And who gets the inheritance? What's the inheritance? Why does God give the inheritance? And who 
gets the inheritance. So that's what we're going to pack today. Let me, let me pray for us. I feel like I want to pray. God, as we lament, as we come here with a variety of stories and journeys and circumstances, God, we need you. And as Luke said, this book of Ephesians is triumphant. It shows us something way greater than any of us are currently experiencing in a lot of ways. So God, open our eyes, open our hearts. Let us see you in a fresh way this morning. Help us see your inheritance clearly. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Ephesians 1 here says, in him, Matt just read it, we have obtained an inheritance, and that's all he says. He does not unpack it. He doesn't say, and the inheritance is this, this, or this. So what are we to make of this inheritance? Here's what I want us to remember. Goheen brought it up last week, but this is a Jewish rabbi writing this letter to a mainly Jewish audience with kind of the Gentiles trickling in, starting to hear about Jesus and starting to get acquainted with the works of Jesus. We have obtained an inheritance. He's speaking Jewishly to a Jewish audience. What is this inheritance he's talking about? What were the Jews given in their inheritance? We kind of see essence of it. We talked about redemption through his blood. They had a small picture in the Passover, but ultimately Jesus provides this perfect Passover. What was the Jews' original inheritance? So my question is, who's the first collective group of Jews to experience the inheritance of God in the Old Testament. Abraham was promised, you leave this land and I'm going to bless you like crazy. And then he leaves and he has a son and that son has a son and that son has a son and that son has a son. And the book of Genesis ends with this guy Joseph who rises to power in Egypt and then after that it says Israel flourished and there's just this huge multitude of Jews who eventually become slaves under the regime there. And God raises up this man called Moses. And he says, you're going to set my people free. You're going to bring them into their inheritance. So the first time we see about the Jewish inheritance is through Moses leaving Egypt. Now here's the picture. As they walk through the Red Sea that God split for them, God crashes the Red Sea behind them, Their backs are probably still kind of wet. They look back and think, our enemy's gone. And they turn around, now what? Here's what I know to be true. Here's what the Jews wanted. It's what most of us want. They just wanted to sit down and be comfortable somewhere. Can I get amen? Amen. I just want a burger (laughs) and a couch. That's the theological truth because the Jews quickly start whining. God is like, I've got all this for you. We're going to walk through the wilderness to get there. And they say, oh, can you take us back to slavery? Because at least I had a chair and a hot meal. Christianity is no different. A lot of us come to Christianity because we just want that most pressing thing fixed. Our marriage, our kids, our marriage, our marriage, our finances, our health, whatever, our marriage, whatever it is, <laughs> fix him. I just want to be comfortable. And God has this grand and glorious inheritance for the Jews and now for us. 
And we're too busy wanting to find a comfortable seat to sit out in just like the Jews. But here's what the Jews actually experience. Four things I see God gives them in the inheritance. The first thing is blessing. Like just material blessing. How do you see it? As soon as they get out and they're there, God provides quail. Quail pop up and they have food. Bread kind of trickles up from the ground. Lovely croissants trickle up from the ground. And water gushes out of rocks. They have meat. They got their protein, their carbs, and their liquid. They have everything they want right there. God provides for them. He blesses them. And here's what's interesting. The way he blesses, he says, go out and take what you need for that day. The day before the Sabbath, take two days worth, but don't take any more. We're not stockpiling. And every day God would provide the same way. He blesses. He blesses. He blesses. The next thing I see is God provides his guidance. As they're walking geographically, there's a cloud by day and a fire by night to say, follow the cloud, follow the fire. He is guiding them, guiding them. He doesn't just bless them, but he guides them. He walks with them. And then that guidance culminates on Mount Sinai where they go and Moses is given the law and God says, now you can start to guide yourselves. Here's how you should live. And he gives them the law to help guide them and shape them as they go into a land full of evil, wicked people. He blesses them and he guides them. And he gives them his presence. He says, and you're going to build a tabernacle. You're going to build a temple. I'm going to tell you how it goes down. But here's what's at the center of this. Behind a curtain that you're going to construct is my presence will dwell there. You get me with you, amongst you. And then finally, as you keep reading through Exodus... He gives them land. He says, now we're going to go into the land that I've promised you. That's what you get. That was Israel's inheritance. That's what they get. Now, here's what I, how I want to answer this question. What is the inheritance? The inheritance is God's blessing and guiding presence here on earth forever. You can say, well, does, does that include a BMW? You get God's blessing and guiding presence here on earth forever. Jews got it, and now we get it even more fully. How do we get this more fully? How do we have more blessing than the Jews? Luke preaches a few weeks ago, we have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. We don't even just get croissants. We get complete forgiveness. The thing that should have kept us from God, our sin, got erased on the cross, and now we get complete, full spiritual blessing here, now, forever. We get it all. How do we get his guidance now? We still have a law, but God says, now I'm going to write my law on your hearts. If you're a Christian, here's what God has done. He has taken out your old heart. He has replaced it with a new heart that wants to beat for him, wants to live for him. And now his law is written on our hearts. And now we have a heart that can actually serve and glorify and satisfy and make our God happy. The Jews had tablets. We get heart. How do we get his presence? Even more so. What happened to that temple? It is no more. There was a curtain there, and God's presence stayed behind that curtain. A very local Middle East section of land, that's where God's presence was. Jesus dies on the cross. And in the Gospels it says the, court, the curtain was torn in two. My son's favorite book he's reading right now is a kid's book. We sell the curtain 
the garden, and the cross. I said that backwards. The garden, the curtain, the cross. And it's all about because of our sin, we can't go in. Because of our sin, we can't go in. Because of our sin, we can't go in. But Christ died and rose again, and the curtain's torn, and now God comes towards us. In what land do we get? Do we get a zip code in modern-day Palestine? No, God's presence now is everywhere. In believers in Christ, you are the temple of God. You have the Holy Spirit within you. We are no longer limited to a geography. We have the presence of God no matter where we go. The furthest galaxy to the seat you're sitting in right now. We are blessed with his blessing and his guidance right here on earth. That's what we get because of Christ. Amen. That's the inheritance. That's what we get. Now I wanted to kind of... How, how, how does this make sense to a teenager? That's who I deal with mainly. My friend over at Rock Point did a worship night a few, uh, two years ago or so, and this was his title of his worship night. Here now, here now. Because he wanted students to grasp, God is here now. And he hears now. God is here now. And he hears now. That's what the Jews needed. They have God. Walking with them, feeding them, guiding them. They had God right here. And now we as Christians, those of us who are in him, have that much more in our lives. He is here now, and he hears us now. He just heard every lament that was prayed. He is here now, and he hears now. What's our inheritance? His blessing and guiding presence right here on earth and forevermore. What's the second question we have here? Why did God decide to give this inheritance? So why? Why the Jews? Let's start there. Why the Jews? And here's what God says over and over to Jews in the Old Testament. It ain't because of you. You ain't that special apart from my special blessing on your life. Here's one passage in particular out of Deuteronomy it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. That the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. From the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Why? It's not because you're big, Israel. In other places, he says, it's not even because your righteousness I'm giving you this land. I'm kicking those people out because they're so wicked. I'm giving you the land because I give land to people I love. It's because of me. It's because I love you, and I've set my promise on people who were here before you were born. I promised Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and now you are receiving the benefits, Israel, of what I promised beforehand to set in motion, not because of you am I doing this. What does he say here in the book of Ephesians? Verse 11 says, we have obtained an inheritance. And now he gives the reason why. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now here's one just, this is one of the realities of being a preacher, communicator. You talk a lot. Like all the time, and you slip up a lot, a lot of times. So this will happen on a fairly decent occurrence. Someone will come up to me and say, hey, really liked your message, but you said Jesus was a millennial. <laughs> Jesus is not a millennial. 
Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, I slipped up. Hey, great message, great message, but you said Moses was Scandinavian. (laughs) Now, if it's an older person there, gentle and gracious, like, I just want to show you here, Moses was Hebrew. (laughs) Happens all the time. Stinks, it's part of the job. Is Paul slipping up when he says, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel as well? Because that word predestined is starting to get in the waters and it's starting to kind of adjust how we're thinking about things and how we're thinking about God and salvation. We have been predestined. Did Paul slip up with the tongue and call Jesus a millennial? Verse 4 says this. Even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world. Verse 5, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. Verse 11, we've obtained this inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Paul didn't slip up. He's used the word predestined, chosen all throughout. And he uses different language to color it. Even in this verse here, verse 11 says, Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Those are three different Greek words to communicate the same thing, that God has a predetermined plan purpose, will on what he wants to happen. He is not slipping up with the tongue. He is saying it forcefully that God is sovereign and is working all things for his will. So here's the answer to the question. We get our inheritance because God predestines us to receive it. Now here, just pastorally, some of us are wrestling with this. Luke has brought this up. We have a class, Introduction to Reformed Theology, coming up that has huge numbers because I think people maybe are hearing this for the first time or hearing it, they've heard it in the past, and they're just making sense of what Paul's saying. So here's what you can't say. Paul had a slip-up. You've got to wrestle with the words in the text. But here's just a Bible reading tool that helps me as I'm stuck. This book was written to people in Ephesus. This wasn't written to gateway people. It's more so God speaks to Ephesus and gateway people get to sit on the side and listen to what's being said to Ephesus and then apply it and have it implicate their own lives. God is speaking to Ephesians through the apostle Paul. So my question is, why would this predestination, this according to the purpose of his will, This God, complete sovereignty, be good news to Ephesians. Why would Ephesians take this and delight in this truth? Luke, a few weeks ago, talked about that strawberry candy. You bite it, it's crunchy, or if you let it just sit in your mouth a while, eventually you get to the ooey-gooey good strawberry. That's what the doctrine of election, predestination is. Why would the Ephesians go, "Mm, this is good? Here's what I wrote down. They were governed by lots of gods who kept acting like humans. Their world, a Greek-Roman world, was governed, was 
the story behind the scenes was there was a bunch of gods who mainly were like glorified humans with the same silly humanness that we all have. And think about a convert to Christianity in this time, sitting there, and all this backdrop. It's like someone coming from the LDS church coming in here. They always have the LDS backdrop, trying to make sense, trying to make sense of rights in front of them. They've got all this pagan culture, all these gods who always acted human and sometimes acted good, but a lot of times just acted. There was no plan. It was all just willy-nilly up there, and we were just receiving what the gods were doing. This is good news. Paul says there is one God and he's got one plan and he's going to do it no matter what. And the Ephesians go, oh, praise God. Now, why is this potentially good news for us here at Gateway as we listen from the sidelines? Here's what I wrote down. We have lots of humans who think they're God but never act like God. We now think humanity, that was the enlightenment many, many years ago. Man is at the center of this. And their enlightened brain is the answer to the universe. America was founded on that. We got the answers. And we have the brain. And we can do this. So now the ethos, the waters we swim in, is a very autonomous human's have control. That's not good news. That's good news if your life is cush, if the lament prayer meant nothing to you, if you've got a bunch of people who bow down to your every need, you've got money in the bank, health, but that season's coming to an end, my friend. Maybe on your drive home. We are not God's. God is God, and he has a plan. Specifically in pastor work, here's just where I see this really flesh itself out. Religious people who carry so much weight for their salvation. My wife is in this camp. She grew up in a domination we don't need to talk about that was constantly pressing on human choice, human decision, human choice, human decision. God's sovereignty back here. Human choice, human decision, human choice, human decision. And my wife was wrecked. She's like, I, I just can't carry this weight. Like, I want to be a Christian, but I screw this up so many times. And then she met a man who said, can I tell you about something? God is sovereign. And he used the P word with her, predestination. And he used the E word, election. He said, you're carrying too much weight for how all this goes down. God has a plan. Look at Ephesians here. He says he's got a plan. He's got a purpose. He's got a will. Aubrey, do you believe that God's sovereignty is far bigger than whatever sovereignty you bring to the equation? I do. And she was saved. And she's never been the same. Some of you are wrestling. Oh, gosh, I, God's got a plan. And he doesn't back out on his promises. So if you're a Christian, it's because God is going to keep you a Christian. Mark just prayed that before his song. God's plan is in motion, starting way back when, before any of us were a thought. And it's moving forward, and it's a beautiful plan. Here's the other thing, hurting people. Like, what do people with huge hurts do with this doctrine? 
you still wrestle with it, but you rest in the fact that God has all the power and all the love, and he's using those both perfectly according to his counsel, his will, his purpose. So though my pain is acute and strong and ever-pressing right here in my face, I can trust that it is part of a much bigger picture. God is in control. Why do we get this inheritance? Because God predestined it to. Why? Because God chose to. Why? Because it was according to his counsel. Why? Because that was his purpose. Why? Because he wanted to. That's good news. We got to wrestle with it. Take the class if you're still wrestling with it. But it is a sweet truth when you get it to its core. It is a beautiful truth that God is God and we don't have to be. That's what we have there. Finally, here's our last question. <clears throat> Who receives this inheritance? Who gets all these blessings? So far, Luke has got up here every week, or Mike, and he's talked about all these amazing things that happen in the Christian life. Luke or Mike, no one has gotten to the point of, well, here's how you get in on this inheritance. They've just talked about the benefits of the inheritance and the glorious gospel. Not yet has anyone said, and this is how you receive this. Until now, in verse 12, Paul gets to it. So we just saw in him we have obtained this inheritance, this beautiful presence, blessing of God right here. Why? Because he predestined it according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Verse 12. So that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. Let me just make a technical point, and then we'll get to the big point. So we, who were the first to hope in Christ. What is Paul talking about? We. It's like he's got a varsity and a JV set in his mind in the church. We. We got here first. I think he's just saying we, Jewish people. We believe this. Because down, if you go to chapter 2, verse 11, he talks about the we, you language, and he says, Therefore remember that at one time you, Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. We, Jews, when we set our hope on Christ, and you Gentiles, he gets to what the Gentiles do, verse 13, in him you also, parentheses, Gentiles, when you heard this word of truth that we've heard, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you got everything we got. We, Paul's like, come on, Jewish people, we, we got this. And you Gentiles got this too. When you, what? We're the first to solve the problems of the world for Christ. Then. We were the first to solve the riddle of Judaism. We were the first to finally get our act together. We were the first to outdo our parents and grandparents in good deeds. We were the first to hope in Christ. If you are not a Christian in this room, here's your next step. Put your hope in Christ. Whatever background you're coming from, no matter how messed up you are when you came in this place and will still be when you leave, your next step, put your hope in Christ. Period. 
That's how you enter into this inheritance that is put your hope in Christ. What he says to the Gentiles, you could even reverse these words. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. Jews, when you first believed in him. Gentiles, when you first hoped in him. Believed, hope, whatever. When you put your hope, when you put your belief, when you put your trust, that's it. That's how you become a Christian. My wife became a Christian. She heard the good news that she had heard over and over and over and over again. And she was told again. And she said, oh, I hope in that God. And she entered into the blessings that Ephesians has been unpacking for us. Anyone who puts their hope in Christ receives this inheritance. Anyone. Who puts their hope? Notice, there is no disclaimer on this. When we first put our hope in Christ, there's no parenthetical statement saying, but your finances. Uh, All Paul says, all the Bible reminds us, if you put your hope in Christ, period, then you've received an inheritance. So here's my call to you. Put your hope in Christ. If you're not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Jesus, put your hope in Christ. Your picture of Jesus is not going to be full. Luke's picture of Jesus is not full. We are all figuring this out, but put your hope in Christ for the first time. If you're a Christian, the next step in your sanctification is more hope in Christ. That's how we grow. We place our hope in Christ. Now, how does this all fit with inheritance? I was doing, redoing our finances for the start of the year, and I go through the same thing in my head every year. I should give to my kid's college fund. I should have some sort of inheritance, all this, but I want a cheeseburger at a date night, so we'll just keep the date night money, and my kids get nothing. <laughs> so my kids currently get Nothing. And I just thought, why don't I think about inheritance, like future tense inheritance, more than I do? I think part of it's my dad. He is a wonderful man. He runs a very, very, very successful multi-hundred-dollar corporation in the West Valley. (laughs) He's a blessed father to a few stray cats. And he lives in the house I grew up in. And one day, I'm going to get some share of that. And I'll put the cat somewhere. (laughs) Me and my sisters will sell his house, split the check, whatever it is you do then. Why don't I think more about my inheritance? Is it because my dad has only given me this, this, and this? Here's Here's what the Lord told me. I was praying one morning, and he just gave me a picture of my dad. He says, you don't think about it because you get everything right here, right now, that you're really looking for. About a year ago, we were looking at medical bills. I had been to the hospital a few times, and I was like, gosh, I have to dip in and use a credit card to start to get ahead of some of these medical bills. I thought, I'll call my dad. Dad, uh, I don't want to use a credit card. Could you help me out a little bit? He's like, yeah, sure, I'll be there tomorrow. Classic dad, always there. Shows up with a check. Here you go, son. Let me know if you need anything else. And we're in mid-conversation, and I get a pain in my side. And I keel over. My dad goes, you have kidney stones. Get in the truck. 
what is this kidney stone? And I just cry the whole way to the ER. And I lay on the floor in the emergency room. My dad's sitting there in the chair with me. And God just said, that's your inheritance. I'm with you. I'll write checks when they need to be written. But I am right there with you all the time. Jesus says something about my dad, too. You might not know that, but in the Gospels, <laughs> he says, What fathers among you, if your kid asked for a gift, would give them a scorpion? Jesus says, None of you. Now, your earthly fathers, Mike Watt included, are all evil in comparison to me. How much more will your heavenly father give you when you place your hope in him? I've got a great dad now and in the future, but I've got a perfect heavenly father right here, right now. Amen? We're going to end. We're going to sing one more song after communion, but here's some of the words to this song. Father, give us hope. Give us faith. Faith, let us trust in your guidance. This passage ends with, to the praise of his glorious grace. Why did we receive this inheritance? Because God determined. What do we do with it? We hope in it. And what's the result of our hope? We praise him for what he's done. We are going to sing, Father, you are all we need. And I want you to sing loud to the God who is right here, right now, with his blessing and his guidance for anyone in the room who has put their hope in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's a story that we get to immerse ourselves in and get to hear Paul speaking to his Jewish friends, figuring this out. That this religion is not a bunch of bullet point truths that we've got to grab hold of, but it is a story written in time with real people, real places, real events, real Middle East, real Red Sea. And a real person named Jesus, who died the death we deserve, rose again victoriously as the curtain was torn so that now we get you. We have an inheritance in you. We get your blessing and your guidance, not in a future heaven, although we do get that, but right here, right now. Father, we need you. Meet us in this moment. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.